What's more fun than listening to us in your car or at work every Wednesday or Friday? Seeing us perform an episode of Sinisterhood for you live. So far, all of the live shows have been such a blast. We've had so much fun on this tour, and we're going to round it out with two shows in sunny Florida in Tampa on July 13th and Orlando on July 14th. And y'all, it's baby's last ride. <laughs> baby. You want to see baby. Baby's retiring after this tour. Baby needs um, to a uh, sabbatical. Baby yes, has, baby <laughs> baby's looking rough. Because baby's been in suitcases <laughs> for the past couple months, so we're going to let him rest. Who knows, for the next whatever amount of shows, what a little creature will will grace our stage, but we'll find something, find I'm sure. And at every stop, we choose a local topic and perform an episode of Sinisterhood for You Live. We even throw in a fun bonus segment at the end, Judge Christie, where we get to hear from you in the audience and all your grievances. Tickets are available now for all the details, including dates, times, venues, and more. Visit Sinisterhood.com slash live shows. That's Sinisterhood.com slash live shows. See you on the road. Up in the night, your heart fills with dread. Probably a murderer who wants you dead. It could be a ghost, a demon, or worse. Perhaps you're the victim of a witch's curse. It's hopeless, you're doomed. You'd call a priest if you could. You'd rather just listen to who? Sinisterhood. I'm gonna kill you. Hello and welcome. <laughs> Another edition. Freaky Friday, where we tell your odd but true stories. Here with Christy, our story sommelier. <laughs> Apologies for this last week coming out on Freaky Sunday. Freaky we Sunday. that it was my bad. I will take full responsibility. I'm in charge of uploading it. We were on the road, and then things just unraveled from there. But things it, could turn. it got out. So, and I hope everyone in, enjoyed it thoroughly. I figure it's uh you know it's the Sunday of a holiday weekend maybe there you go you know folks can listen to it on a road trip Sunday is the new Friday on holiday weekends that's what it is right there (laughs) so we hope that uh, you enjoyed it but this will come out on a Friday will come out this Friday and we got a fail safe in place mark my words to everyone (laughs) yes Uh, but we've got some good ones for us you know I love a theme yes and the theme for this one. We got several big cases on this one. Big, yes. big names that everyone will recognize, big uh, stories that happened. So there's several of those in this episode. And it's definitely a, a case where we talk about sliding doors moment or you were there or you had mm-hmm. someone with you. And I think it, especially in the news cycle we're in now, where it seems like there's constantly a new big story coming out every day, it's... It shakes you, right? It rattles you that how close you could have come or how close you could have been. Yeah. So we always appreciate everyone uh, taking the time and being vulnerable, sharing their stories with us, and letting them share it with uh, letting us share it with everybody else. Absolutely. Well, this first one is from Lauren D, and it is the Boston Marathon bombing. Hi, ladies, longtime listener, and love the show. I am writing this story on behalf of my fiance Scott, who gave me permission to tell his story. I'm sure we all remember the 2013 Boston Marathon bombing, but for those who don't, I will give a short recap. 
The Boston Marathon bombing was a domestic terrorist attack that took place during the annual Boston Marathon on April 15, 2013. Two terrorists planted two homemade pressure cooker bombs, which detonated 14 seconds and 210 yards apart at 2.49 p.m., near the finish line of the race, killing three people and injuring hundreds of others, including 17 who lost limbs. It was incredibly tragic and changed the city of Boston forever. Why am I telling you this? Because my fiancé and his family, dad, stepmom, and brother, were in attendance. The day started out like any other day. Scott and his family, his stepmom is a retired nurse, put a pin in that info, arrived in Boston very excited for Marathon Monday. They went to the Red Sox game, then made their way over to the race. They found a spot along the race course and watched as the runners flew by. A little time had passed when they spotted friends across the street. They waved, then walked around to try and find a way to meet up with them on the other side. Moments later, in the spot they were just standing in, a bomb went off. They had just been standing next to one of the bombs that blew up. Had they not seen their friends and crossed the street, I may never have met my fiancé, something I don't care to think about. During all the chaos, Scott's stepmom, remember she is a retired nurse, jumped into action and ran over to a female runner who had a huge piece of metal lodged in her leg and was bleeding profusely. Scott's stepmom took her sweater off and tied it tightly around the woman's leg in hopes of slowing down the bleeding. Scott and his brother then helped the woman off the street into the sidewalk, all the while not really processing what had just happened. They continued to help the injured runner by applying pressure to her leg and were able to help her reunite with her husband. Thankfully, Scott and his family escaped without injury and were happy they could help those in need. Looking back, they say the day was a blur, but that they can't help but think what would have happened if they hadn't randomly seen their friends. The female runner they helped made a full recovery and still sends Scott's parents a Christmas card every year. Thank you for taking the time to read this story, and thank you for all the laughs you have brought to my life. I hope to one day catch a live show in San Francisco. Well, when things like that happen, isn't it Mr. Rogers that said you always look for the helpers? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in this case, they were the helpers, and that, you know, that his mom, I think all or all retired nurses and current nurses, that's just their nature, yes. right, is to just jump into action and be there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's just, you don't even think, no. you just do. It's uh, pure reaction. I've been in several high stress situations where injuries or people have collapsed and you and nurses just come running and they're like, I'm a nurse, I'm a nurse. Like they Mm -hmm. immediately jump into action and are are there to help. I'm glad that they saw their friends. So they were able to help because had they not, it seems like that would have not gone that way. Yeah. That's what you just think, whatever you, whatever your religious beliefs are of fate, destiny, God, whatever, that, something put your friends there Mm -hmm. that got you to see them or happenstance even. And it's just like those moments that you just think I was seconds away. And, but for them, you know, they survived maybe so they could help that runner. So yeah, that's uh that's very sweet that they stay in touch though. And they, they still get Christmas for sure. I mean, they saved her life that day was awful for everyone. Boston, especially, but everybody, God, that was, that was brutal. And the manhunt that ensued after, didn't they end up finding what they were brothers, I believe, mm-hmm. one of them in a hiding in the backyard of someone's house in a boat? 
Yeah, like in a covered boat. And that was the one where folks on the internet thought they were trying to help and they named the wrong person. Mm-hmm. And then that, so that was one of the early cases of like internet sleuthing that maybe went awry. You know, yeah. heart's in the right place. You are trying to help, but how much damage you could do if you release the wrong name and things like that. But mm-hmm. they had CCTV footage of them. I do remember that, like standing mm-hmm. very close to one of the bombs that they had uh, planted, which may have been the one that. Scott's family was by. Well, this next one is also a story that was in the news several years ago. This is from Helen R. And the subject line is, The Time I Escaped the Crossbow Killer. Hey, ladies. First of all, I just want to tell you how much I love you. My UK besties, I've lived in Australia for the last 12 years, introduced me to your podcast about six months ago, and you've been in my ear ever since. Anyway, let me tell you about the time... I escaped the crossbow killer. In 2005, I was a 23-year-old newly qualified baby nurse living in a quaint little village near Wakefield in the UK. It was just before I passed my driving test, and so I got the bus into town every day. It was 6 a.m. and still dark on a cold, wet November morning. The bus stop was about 10 minutes from my house and on a long road, at a stretch with not many houses on it and just a grassy area across from it just off from my housing estate. Staring up the road, longing for the bus to come, I saw a car driving down towards me. It slowed as it got to me, and the man started opening his window. I assumed he was about to ask for directions, but he just stared at me and very slowly drove off. I was creeped right out and hoped that it was just a weirdo being weird, but to my horror, he pulled into a lay-by about 200 yards down from me and turned the car around. Panic started filling my chest as he drove towards me again, slowing down to do the same thing. He stared right at me with a menacing, hungry look in his eyes. Full-blown panic set in at this point. I willed the bus to hurry up, but it was running late. And as if I couldn't feel any more terrified, about a hundred yards up from me, he did the same thing. Turned his car around and drove back down the hill, staring coldly through the open window. I felt as though I was being circled and stalked. I felt as though I was being circled and stalked by a shark about to attack. By the third time he circled around, never looking at the road, just watching me with deep, menacing eyes and a dark smile creeping onto his face, I knew I had to get away. The bus didn't seem like it was coming, so I had to run. But where to go? If I ran towards home, he'd catch me before I even made the dark, sleeping housing estate. I had images of being pulled into a car before my screams even hit the ears of the sleeping residents. In the distance up the hill was a shop. I could see some lights on, but couldn't be sure if it was actually open. But there was nothing else. Nowhere to run. Nowhere to hide. No one to save me. My trusty flip phone that I only had to charge every week or so, ah, the good old days, was dead. It was at least 150 yards away and he would probably be able to catch me before I got to the shop, but I had to try. I watched him circle me again, watching me. It was the fifth time he'd done this now. I knew he was scoping the area, looking for anyone that could see me, just as I was looking for anyone to save me. No one around, the sun wasn't up. He could easily take me and no one would know. I had to choose, run home or run to the shop in the distance and pray it's open. I chose the shop, 
thinking it's the best of two shitty options. I waited until he passed me again, so that he would have to take a minute to turn, and I bolted, faster than I ever ran in my life. Didn't look back, just ran with full fear of a child that feels the boogeyman clasping at their legs just behind. Rain and ice-cold wind blowing in my face. The shop was open. Oh, the fecking relief. I flung into the shop, ran to the counter, and at high speed blurted out what had just happened. When I saw the shopkeeper and his look of concern, I knew I'd made it to safety. He told me to stay put while he looked outside. As he came back in, I saw him lock the door and ask if the car the man was in was a silver van. It was. I'd had long enough to watch my predator and taken in what he looked like and the car he drove. He was waiting outside. The shopkeeper called his wife who was in the back, told her the story, and asked her to keep the doors locked until he got back. He offered to drive me home, but no one would be in, and I was already late for work. Knowing Matron would be highly pissed, he offered to drive me to work. We got in his car just outside the shop, and I had to pass the man in his silver van. He stared at me, rage and darkness all over his face. His catch had gotten away. At that point, he sped off into the night. On the way, the kindly shopkeeper handed me his phone and told me to call the police. I recanted my terrible story and finished just as I got to the hospital, ready to be scolded for being late. I couldn't thank the shopkeeper enough and shakily walked onto my ward. It's an incident that still makes me shiver to this day. I knew that had I not found safety, I would have been dead. I felt it in my bones. I'd had the closest call of my life and it shaped the way I've been ever since. Always on high alert when in the streets. Being wary of stranger danger is something I've passed on to my daughters. My eldest would say to a fault as they're also now highly wary of possible boogeymen at every corner. A few years after this, I was watching the news when something came on that had me frozen. Ice ran through my bones as I watched the story of the crossbow killer being arrested for the murder of three young women. I knew that face so well. Those eyes are burned in my brain forever. It was the man in the silver van. Never more than that moment was I sure I had cheated death. Yeah, and we you you included or did she include? That uh, link? I included this link because I was not familiar with this guy and Christ. I yeah. uh, I will say that most news sources refer to him as the crossbow cannibal. Yes, because he ate the victims. He cooked them on the stove. He. There's three women he has confessed to killing, but um, he, and I quote, said, I've killed loads. Loads more. Yeah. yeah. When I heard that, I was like, even because it, it looked like the murders were in 2009, 2010. Mm-hmm. And that's just once he started getting caught. So if yes. this was 2005, who knows how long he had been doing even partial part of what he was doing, yeah. much, you know, killing them, much less eating them or all of that. But that we talked about before that feeling that you make eye contact with something and you're some sort of a sixth sense is like danger. I need to escape. Mm -hmm. And just knowing, okay, I have two options. There's likely someone here. I'm going to just try to make a run for it. And again, some helpers, thankfully the shopkeeper was open the door, locked it behind her, was willing to go out and look and have, you know, have her give her a ride to work and everything, because that is just terrifying to be certain. You know, it's one of those, if someone passes you and gives you a look, you're like, well, that's kind of rude, or don't look at me. On the but fifth go, time, 
you're like, you really do feel like you're being circled, like a vulture or a shark is circling you. And you got to make that call. Luckily, Helen made the right call. I have nightmares about these types of things, having to make a split decision where do I go home? Do I go to this place? You know, I mean, home, you know, you can get in, but it's further away. Also, who knows? You could be exposing your family, you know, or other people there to something. Or now they know where you live. Exactly. But the um, picture of this guy, he is menacing looking. And I imagine seeing him staring at you with his window down. I mean, all of the pictures just he has a dark, menacing look on his face. Just pure evil to see that staring at you at 6 a.m. on a dark, cold road. And it's just you and him. Fuck. And you and like she said, it gets kind of especially if he drove by five yeah. times, and you're that scared. I think it would get imprinted on your brain of who you're. Oh, looking for at. sure. Yeah, and yeah. I was thinking to myself, damn, he drove by five times. Absolutely, I agree. He's looking to see, can I get her without being caught? Is there a place mm-hmm. she can run? I also think to put her on edge and instill fear on her, so she's already vulnerable when he makes his attack. For sure. And uh, and maybe thinking, well, I'll see how she's going to react. Is she mm-hmm. going to pull out mace or something? Mm-hmm. Cause I've, or stand there or run off or whatever. So I think you're right. And he seemed like, from the description I was reading, I calculated, Barry. had these ideas. He told his psychiatrist he was obsessed with serial killers and wanted to be like one and all that. So that maybe getting more of a thrill of mm-hmm. terrorizing someone, freaking them out really bad the while hunt. they're... Uh, yeah. She's trying to go to work in the morning and especially getting up that early. Like you said, you're up for the sun. Like she said, she's out there. Nobody else is out there. That definitely has an eerie feeling where everyone's still asleep. Oh, and I'm he preyed on people that were by themselves mm-hmm. from the uh, articles I read. He primarily preyed on sex workers and then promised, you know, drugs and money if he came back to their house. But it's a wild case and might be one that we just need to dedicate a whole episode to. Yeah. Because it is, uh, uh, Helen, I'm very glad that you got out of that because this guy was and is a monster. For sure. Well, this next one is from Mary, and this is UFO or Secret Military Project. Hey, y'all, I'm so excited to send in this story because I think it's got just enough speculative information to get you both thinking. Before I start, I just want to add a little side note and thank you both for the candor you use when talking about your dads. I'm 26 and my dad was recently diagnosed with terminal cancer. With it has come all of the emotions, sometimes while walking past dads and their little children, sometimes while watching any movie with the dead parent storyline peppered in, and sometimes while just sitting in my own head. Hearing you both talk about your dads, feeling their presences, and just hearing that you found a way to exist in a world without them has helped me so much. Okay, enough of that. My sad girl hour is over, and time for a UFO sighting story. Oh, my name is Mary. Feel free to use that. I worked at a sleepaway summer camp in upstate New York for years. I run my own one now. Yes, HBIC Energy. And during the school year, I used to do a lot of work on the property while searching for a big girl job on the side. We'd have our campers come up for a weekend during the school year for various campy activities, keep them engaged in the camp community, and just get them a few hours out of the city. I also lived on the property during the off-season, 
AKA me living in the woods with three other people on 1,100 acres and no one else. So I get to these sessions early and help prep. One afternoon in about November 2017, I'm driving on the property with a coworker, delivering sheets and blankets to some cabins. As we crest a hill, which is also the edge of our lake, we see three huge, gray, plain-esque-looking objects hovering about a quarter mile in front of us over the lake and very low to the ground compared to typical planes that fly over the area. Pardon me? This was not part of the camp counselor job description, and I'm only interested in these planes if they're planning on dropping these sheets off at the top of the hill for me. Naturally, we stop the car in the middle of the road and start shrieking at each other. You see this, right? The walking zeitgeist we are, we immediately open up Snapchat to get this shit on video. Except they won't show up on our cameras. I'm watching these literal UFOs in front of my face, almost military looking, matte gray fucking machines in the sky. But I glance to my phone and it's blue skies, baby. My Snapchat looked as though it was a normal sky with nothing in it. I turn around to look out the back window to see if there's anything else around us, because now I'm sure we're going to die, which took literally one second. And when I turned forward again, everything was gone. The area is open enough that nothing would have been able to fly away within two seconds and be covered by trees or anything. My coworker and I were still screaming, obviously, and kept asking, you saw that, right? You saw that? We told everyone at work and they all laughed at us because sure, it sounded pretty wild until someone casually reminded us that West Point is like 10 miles away, which could mean a few things, but one for sure. We saw something we were definitely not supposed to. So what do we think? UFO? Secret military technology they were testing over an unassuming campground? And they would have gotten away with it if it weren't for us meddling camp counselors in our red minivan. Hope you enjoyed reading and much love, Mary. That makes sense. There's technology like you to make it reflective so you can't see there. That would make sense that you would have the technology that would reflect in a way that maybe would uh, bounce a different way off of a cell phone camera. Couldn't be picked up on camera. I definitely think the government has planes like that. And if West Point is 10 miles away, I think that's a pretty logical conclusion. There's all kinds of stuff up there. That's Montauk, West Point. There's all in that neck of the Mm -hmm. woods. Not right next to each other, but all generally up there. And flying distance, spitting distance, you know, plane-wise. When you're flying a UFO, it takes like two seconds. So That's what it sounds like. Just a hop, skip, and a jump over to the next one. The uh, It sounds exactly like the... Tic Tacs that we talked about in the uh, mm-hmm. unidentified aerial phenomena, where it's literally, it's not, and it flies away. It's like boop, and yeah, it's just gone. It's just gone. It's like super so, speed, the light light speed. Some yeah, kind of acceleration. There's a lot of forest up there, a lot of just big vast land, and you know what that means? Test off road robots. They're just <laughs> testing Bigfoot. All sorts of shit goes on up there. Sorry, you get to live in a concrete jungle like we do, where there's nothing around except <laughs> Shit just around. cement and yeah, no trees, nothing. <laughs> we'd see it, we'd hear it. Yeah, it's. Uh, I want to now see. That's the disaster movie I want to see is the Sasquatch versus the Boston Dynamics robots that won't die. Damn. My money's on Sasquatch. I'll tell you what, it will be way better than the man who killed Hitler and then also Bigfoot or whatever it was that we watched, which was an abomination. Sam Elliott, I'm so sorry. (laughs) We still have to watch the Sasquatch 
the gripping docudrama about a group of scientists that set out in the woods to try to find Bigfoot that Sarah gave me, my college mm-hmm. classmate, because our college professor's in this. So we might have we'll to do a uh, Hallmark After Dark type uh, special on Patreon with that one. I think that's the answer. Well, yeah. Well, was it a UFO? Was it a military plane? Why not both? Mm. Maybe we're working with them. Mm. Oh, guys, government aliens is what we our conclusion is. Yep, the alien alliance. <laughs> well, this next one we have is from Mandy, and the subject line is "What the frick happened in Connecticut." Hey, ladies, I'm Mandy. I'm so excited you're reading this. Anyway, I love you both, have listened to you for a long time, and I appreciate everything you do. So today, I'm going to tell y'all about a creepy little spot in Connecticut and how it's scary as heck. I live in central Connecticut, and I visited this spot in the western part of the state on a number of occasions. And every time I go, something real weird happens. Side note, this area is restricted, so definitely don't visit it there after you hear about it. Wink! But really, the cops are there a lot, so be warned. So it's summertime 2001. I'm driving my Camry, jamming out to the radio with my high school friends in the middle of the night, and we decide to visit Dudley Town. Dudley Town is this old-as-fuck village from, like, pilgrim times or whatever, and legend has it that all the peeps got possessed by demons or something, went all exorcist, and killed each other until the village was abandoned. It's super haunted. Look it up. So we drive up to this village because it's out in the middle of the woods. Side note, the road is called Dark Entry Forest Road. Isn't that the most metal street name ever? And as we're driving, it gets really cool outside. Not exactly freezing, but enough to make you wish you had a light hoodie in the summer. Next, the radio crackles and then goes out, which I, a skeptic, explain as, oh, well, we're in the middle of buttfuck nowhere, so that explains it. Next comes the fog, like big fog slowly rolling over the road in puffy clouds that obscure everything more than five feet in front of us. We all have the chills and start to nervously laugh to mask the feeling of impending dread. But here comes the really terrifying part. We see something, an animal, walking on the side of the road. As we get closer, we realize that we have no idea what animal this is. My friends and I are squinting through the fog to try and see what this thing is, as we slow down alongside it. This creature was as tall as a deer and very, very thin, like a greyhound, but it looked like if a two-legged animal was walking on all fours. It was sauntering, like it was on a catwalk at Fashion Week, and its hip bones jutted out with every step, just swaying as it made its way along real slow. It has no ears. It has large feet. It has no fur or hair just grayish white skin and the skin is so thin that it's almost clear and in some spots it's scarred and scabby as we get closer we cannot for the life of us figure out what it is but we are uneasy at best by now the vibes had changed we had all shut up because we were terrified of this freakish creature we were pretty much holding our breath as we approached and rolled up right next to it We all have our eyes glued to this mystery being. Just then, the creature turns its head very, very slowly until it is looking right into the open passenger window of my car. We all pause, and then it lunges at the window with a snarl, just narrowly missing the open window and hitting the frame of the car as we all shriek, 
even the dudes. I floor it and race out of there, almost in tears from what has just happened, as the thing ran out behind the car in the middle of the road. What was that thing? Why did it attack us? Was it a flesh-eating pedestrian? A cryptid? I do not know, my dudes. My friends and I tell this story to anyone with ears, and no one can tell us what we saw. But we seen it, and it scared me to death. Sounds like lies, but the people I was with on these Dudley Town adventures will all swear to the accuracy. This shit happened. I don't know how to explain it, but nothing this weird has ever happened to me except when I go to Dudley Town. Wild times, kids. I've got no answers for you. Anyway, I hope you like my story. Love you, Mandy. Dudley Town sounds like a place where fucked up stuff happens. <laughs> right? Especially if the villagers got possessed or sucked away the or something. The massacre of Dudley Town. That just sounds like something that happened. Some Shyamalan shit. Yeah. Uh, I do want to ask Mandy, if the shit was terrifying, why'd you have your window down on the side? <laughs> That thing could have got right in there. You're lucky it missed, but I've told y'all about the ostrich and me. This this is like the ostrich trying to come in for snacks. Yeah, roll that shit up. Mm-mm. I've had a, I think it was a donkey the last time. You had, Have you taken Ella and Simon to that place in Granbury where you drive through and it's like a uh, jungle uh, zoo? Ella, we have taken Ella to Sharkarosa Ranch, which is outside of Denton, uh, which is... You don't drive through it. you like, well, there's one thing that they take you on a little ride through, but there's animals and stuff. But we haven't done the, um, is it the one that, it's probably the one that I got attacked by the ostrich. Likely. Yeah. Because it's west of Fort Worth mm-hmm. and a little bit south. And they have giraffes that'll just come mm-hmm. up and stick their heads down mm-hmm. into your sunroof and things like that. I had a donkey stick its head in my driver's side window because I, like a ding dong, had the window down. But that's how you got to feed them. I know what. Well, I left it down. I had fed him, and the cup was empty. And then I was just slow rolling the car because there was a car in front of me. And then the donkey just stuck its head in, like, "Yo, bitch, where's some more?" And I'm like, "I'm out. I got some double mint. Like, I don't think you want that. I'll get thrown out of here if I give the donkey some gum." So roll up your window. I think what this thing was. It sounds like the knot deer that we've heard mm-hmm. before. One of the previous stories. So I think we're seeing patterns here that there's something out in the wilderness. That is a creepy, naked deer walking on to... And let's just leave it alone. Let's not go... Let's not go looking for it or messing with it. Roll those windows up. Just let them be. So far, it seems like they're content just living out in creepy places. So let's just let them do their thing. It was like, why are you rolling through here with your damn window down? (laughs) I also Um, would love to know what jams they were playing in this Camry in uh, 2001. Yeah. What do we think in 2001? Oh, when was maybe that? Maybe some late, uh, later than Baby One More Time, Britney. Yeah. Maybe. Is that when um, uh, that song by Lit came out? Tell me why my car is in the front yard. Oh, here we go. Songs of 2001. Survivor by Destiny's Child. Where the Party At by Jagged Edge. Oh, yeah. What's that one? Uh, where the Party At. The Bacardi At. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um. When It's Over by uh, Sugar Ray. Oh, Hit em yeah. Up Style by Blue Crate Cantrell. All or Nothing by O-Town. I always think of, uh, was it Madison that used to sing that? She would like film herself singing that. What's at All her or desk. Nothing? Because uh, I want it all or nothing. Oh, yeah. Probably, or yeah. probably was our friend Madison. The song <laughs> slaps. Uh, there's a lot of good ones. Well, from is that song lit on there? By, in, uh, wasn't the band lit? 
That was the name of the band. No, Slave for You, Space Between, Dave Matthews, Peaches and Cream by 112. These are all hits. Yeah, 2001 uh, was a good year. Where maybe he, the creature was like, you know what? I'm going to spare y'all because you got good taste in music and I'm enjoying these sweet jams. That was around the time. My Own Worst Enemy, I think, is the song That's you're the thinking song of. I'm talking about. That song Violet. still slaps. Release date, June 16th, 1999. 1999. Okay, yeah. That is a, a good one. Years Ziploc, that was the next, Ziploc was their next hit. What was, was it? Ziploc? Ziploc. I don't remember Put that. it in a Ziploc bag and keep it in my pocket. I don't remember that keep one. It it. It's a good one. They're, okay. they, I think there were two hit ones. Yeah. Count them as <laughs> yeah two you know one. what? Better than one. So, right? There you go. One more. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you very much, Mandy, and for telling us about the songs you're listening to in your jamry. That has given me an idea for jamry. Did you just call it a jamry? Jamry. If you're jamming in your Camry, it it's is a jamry. If you're jamming in your Camry, <laughs> so we're gonna make a playlist of 2001 hits called J- "Songs to Jam Out in Your Jamry." I like uh, it. So thank you, Mandy. These next two, very eerie, and kind of going back to our previous theme of close calls with big cases so Mm -hmm. this first one is from hannah and the subject line is my husband's family knew btk this didn't happen to me personally but i got permission to talk about it my husband and his family were from the wichita area and had many encounters with dennis raider or btk they would often see him at the local grocery store leakers where he worked for a bit my mother-in-law would sense eyes on her, and it was Raider. He would always stare at her. The one significant encounter was that he installed the security system in my husband's grandparents' house. They still have the forms with Raider's signature on them. Yikes. I hope you enjoy this brush with true crime, knowing that all my in-laws are alive and well. We enjoy your podcast and appreciate the work you put into it. BTK is a monster, and to think of having any interaction with him is very um chilling extremely chilling especially given his position as a security system mm-hmm. installation worker that he's been in he was in a ton of people that's homes. how he gained access to a lot of people's houses and knew the layouts and and got his victims and stuff so yeah that's fucked up to think was he casing their house as potential victims and for whatever reason, decided against it. Uh, Something happened. Yeah, he's he's one that I watched that documentary years ago. I mean, it was maybe 2011, 2012, and I still really, I mean, it's terrifying yeah. that I, yeah. and it was, I watched like a single documentary about it. It's, uh, I would like to read his daughter's book because I think yeah. it's important for her. She's just as much as a, of a survivor mm-hmm. that she's getting to tell her story um, and, you know, talk about the impact it had on her. And, and that's an important version of this. Just like, you know, people who had him in their homes. Mm-hmm. That's a, it, obviously hers is a much more prolonged, protracted deception and betrayal but even something as simple as that, if you take for granted kind of who you let in your house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. His daughter is absolutely a victim and a survivor as well, as was his entire family. Yeah. It's um, uh, those stories often we forget about because we kind of lump them into, well, they were part of this monster's inner circle, but they had no idea what was going on and were just as shocked. And the feeling of betrayal, like you said, and I... Can I, everything you ever knew about your dad is called into question. What could you have ever believed? Like, he's a totally not who you thought. 
you were that's a whole new level of like grief and emotions that you got to unpack for the rest of your life oh and, and yeah a relationship that should be built on some sort of trust mm-hmm. is has been a complete lie and in some of i think i read an excerpt and maybe maybe it was people magazine published like a couple like a chapter or something and it was talking about how he was also very shitty at home it was mm. uh yell explosive rage and anger and things like that well, i so, imagine it's hard to turn those two things completely off i mean bundy managed to do it a lot but mm-hmm. he was also gone a lot true btk was these home these crimes are committed in his neighborhood i mean around around yeah. where he lived and stuff so i think if you're capable of doing those things i can't imagine you can completely turn it off when you're at home that kind yeah. of rage and stuff is going to come out every now and then and having obsession with control and not mm-hmm. being able to control stuff like mm-hmm. your kids like that's just not going to happen yeah. so very eerie thank you for sending that in hannah and this last email is from amy elliot and the subject line is btk's neighbor My dad grew up four doors down from the BTK killer. When everything blew up about him, it freaked out my entire family. My grandmother knew him, had met him, and had spoken to him since they were neighbors. My aunt married a Wichita policeman later in life. When BTK was active, my uncle didn't work the case, but obviously had the inside info. He's spoken to us about it, but he doesn't like to. My dad once took us to the house he grew up in and showed us where the raiders lived. The house has been torn down and is just a plot of grass now. It was heart-stopping to see just how close he was to my family. My living aunt, dad, and uncles all refused to acknowledge the Raider name or speak it out loud. They were seriously upset by their proximity to it all. Come to find out, he had targeted one of the elderly neighbors. When he worked for the city, he had ticketed her for her tall grass and leaving her trash cans out. Fortunately, it never went any farther than that that we know of. But who knows how many of us have met or been near someone as disgusting as BTK. I thought it was pretty remarkable that two listeners had tangentially related BTK stories. Yeah, and it's he was one that was, like you said, Ted Bundy kind of hopped around and he did have friends and, you mm-hmm. know, colleagues from when he worked at the state and things like that. But BTK was entrenched in this community mm-hmm. in the deacon in the church the scout troop having these jobs with co-workers you know worked at the like, grocery store also worked, worked in- as security and uh, you know i mean so he was all over the place and people recognized his face lots of reports of he was always creeping him out i mean it's kind of like with the the first or the crossbow killer when you see someone that's capable of these things you you just see it in their eyes. They're dark. They're yeah. evil. You know that this is not a person you want to interact with. Something just unsettling mm-hmm. on a on a molecular level. Absolutely. And uh, it's also interesting that he grew up in this area where he also then at least proximity, you know, he was proximately located to where he ended up committing all these heinous crimes mm-hmm. where it was – I guess familiar to him, but in that case, you're also recognizable to your yeah. neighbors and people that you grew up with, which but, is bold. Yeah. Well, Amy, we're glad that uh, your everybody in your family, I think, has sounds like they just don't want to talk about it. And luckily, we're I can understand that and respect that when you're that close to it, and you know, it also taints the whole neighborhood and the whole city and everything. And if you want to remember your life and your neighborhood and your time on those streets is something positive to bring 
BTK into it, I mean, that kind of destroys all of that. Yeah, for sure. Well, I'm glad everybody, like I said, made it out unscathed mm-hmm. and dealing with it in their own way. All of these. I'm glad everyone here made it out unscathed and all of these stories. And thank you to everybody for sharing them with us as well. If you have an odd but true story, maybe you've encountered Bigfoot, you've seen a UFO, you had a brush with true crime, or you felt the presence of an otherworldly being, send them in at SinisterHood.com slash Freaky Friday. We love providing Sinisterhood to you at no cost, so if you like what you hear, consider supporting the show by donating to our Patreon. We're a small operation, creating the show for you by researching, writing, recording, and producing it ourselves. Any amount is sincerely appreciated and helps offset the costs of making and hosting the show. As a thank you, you'll also get some sweet perks like ad-free episodes, a Sinisterhood sticker, membership to our exclusive Patreon Facebook group for those in the Rolling the Airwaves and Getting Into It tier, a special shout-out on the show, a monthly bonus mini so This past month was an update on the Alec Murdoch case in South Carolina, and patron-exclusive video and audio content, including Emma the Asshole, Relationship Advice, Judge Christie, Dear Sinister, True Crime Headlines, and more. You also have the fun perk of access to our Discord server, where you can connect with other fans in real time and discuss the latest in true crime, share personal ghost stories, or just post adorable pictures of your pets. We hop on occasionally, and we host monthly Q&As on Crowdcast, where you can ask us all your burning questions. For patrons not in the U.S., you have the option to pay in pounds or euros, saving you the cost of the conversion fee. Annual memberships for all tiers are also now available. Those that select this option will be rewarded with a free month of membership. For more details on all of this and specific member tiers, visit SinisterHood.com and click Patreon on the top banner. So many of you have been tagging us in pictures of you sporting your sweet Sinisterhood merch. Keep those pictures coming. And if you want to get some cool Sinisterhood swag like t-shirts, mugs, totes, and even clothes for your kiddos, visit Sinisterhood.com and click on shop in the top banner. The best thing you can do to help us grow is like, review, and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. And please tell a friend who you think would like us to check us out. You can also share any episode by clicking the three dots in the top right corner and share topic-based playlists from Spotify by visiting Sinisterhood.com slash playlist. Maybe we start some music playlists on there. Oh, shit. We get our jammery playlist going on there. I'm Mm -hmm. writing it down right now. Yes. All of it means so much to us and really helps podcasts like us get more exposure. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Sinisterhood Pod and like us on Facebook at Sinisterhood. We're also on TikTok and YouTube. Christy, where are you at on the social media? I am on Instagram at Christy M. Wallace and TikTok and Twitter at Christy or GTFO. Heather? I'm on Twitter at MCK versus the world and on TikTok at Instagram at Heather versus the world. As always, the devil rules the airwaves. Keep it creepy.